Luke chapter 2, verse 34, 35. I preached a sermon in 1995, January 28, 1995. I was a lot younger. There's been some water under the bridge since then. And it's more true today than even I thought it was when I preached it in 1995. Basically, I want to take one phrase out of verse 35 and talk about God's method of dealing with you and me in life. I'm always interested, and I'm always deeply concerned about God's ways, God's will, God's ways, and how he deals with these people. Because I've seen just too many bitter Christians, and I'm going to call them Christians. Because it talks in, in uh, chapter 12 of Hebrews, the potential for, under God's work in your life, the potential for you to get bitter, not better. And for you to defile many. You have the potential as a Christian to defile many other people as they're trying to walk towards God by becoming upset with God, mad at God. I've met thousands of Christians that are mad at God, upset with God. Now, their verbiage is always mild, but their actions are radical. They quit going to church years ago. Uh, they quit reading their Bible really seriously, quit reading their Bible years ago. But reading a verse once in a while is not reading your Bible. Let me get it real good. Reading a few verses once in a while is not reading your Bible. Reading your Bible is reading your Bible, the whole thing. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? That was written before the New Testament. It was talking about the Old Testament in primary application. Many of you people haven't read the Old Testament through in years or ever. Shame on you. You're going to be in trouble for that. And you may possibly, because of that, maybe defile many. Because when God begins to deal in your life, He's going to deal in an unexpected way, kind of from left field, as we often say. I played eight years of baseball, you know, from left field. So let me read it. The context of it all is Mary, the mother of Jesus, has an angel come to her. How many women have that? Not many. Have an angel come to her and said, uh, you're going to birth the long-awaited and long-anticipated Christ child. I mean, they had been talking about this child all the way from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, it would come through Abraham's seed. It would come through, but it was always through the woman, the woman. And this is an anomaly of Scripture. If you go through the uh, genealogies of the Bible, you'll say uh, you don't see many women. Almost none, but a few have made it. But most, mostly no women, all men. 
But when it comes to the Christ, it's going to come through the woman's seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. He heard that. He picked up on that when he heard that prophecy in chapter 3, verse 15. He heard that. The woman's seed. Woman don't. Now, wait a minute. Woman only has 23 chromosomes. Now, they didn't. I mean, God knew that. I don't know about Adam and Eve and all that, but the 23 chromosomes. It takes a man to make a child. You've got to have 23 plus 23 make 46, which is who we are. Basically, your blueprint. And so if a woman, if the seed's going to come through to woman, not to man, we, have, we know now that the, the sex of the child is determined by the man. The, the uh, men determine whether you have a boy or a girl. Don't blame your women. I mean, excuse me, rather. But it's you. I've known guys want to have boys. They want to have boys, or they want to have girls, and they, you know, they don't get what they want. Well, that it's it's just God, man. You just got to give it to Him. But it's the men that that comes through, X and the Y chromosome. So we have this little, probably fifteen. I mean, somebody I've even read some people thought she was thirteen, thirteen to seventeen as the ages in the, in the reading I do. The ages that I see, there's something in my glasses bothering me. I got it. Anyways, uh, 13, to eight, 13 to 17. She wasn't not old. They did not wait a long time to get married then. And uh, she possibly, let's just compromise, I'm 15 years old. This angel comes to her and said, you're going to be the mother of the Christ. What's in you is holy. How am I going to do that? I don't know a man. He says, oh, the Holy Ghost is going to come on you. In other words, God is going to come on you, and what you have in you is going to be God-man, something never before made. It says that he is the uniquely begotten, or the Bible says the only begotten Son of God. There was none like him before him, and there's none like him after him. He's absolutely unique in history. Jesus Christ the Son of God. And so they come, and they, let's just read the verses. They come to dedicate the child about 41 days after birth, somewhere around that, according to the law of Moses. And Simeon, a guy that had been waiting on, on uh, this to happen because the Holy Spirit had told this guy, Simeon, that he would not die till he saw the Christ child. Now, that's interesting. That's interesting that God told him that. But he said, you're not going to die unless you see the Christ child. So he was in the temple. He was an old man by this time, and it was time, the clock was ticking, and here he comes, and the Holy Spirit revealed to him that this child that was being brought in to be dedicated was the Christ. He understood the gravity of all that. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, and that's interesting again. There you go again. Normally you don't talk to the woman, you talk to the man. Now we're talking in this society, it was a man's world. And actually, it is a man's work. And so, instead of talking to the man, he goes right to the woman, Mary. Well, that's because the Christ child was to come through the woman, not the man. And said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Right off the bat, a little negative negativity there. Now, up to this point, nothing negative had been said. Yea, and a sword shall pierce through thine own soul. 
I looked the word sword up. It means a broad sword, a big sword. A sword shall pierce through thine own soul, and the thoughts of many hearts shall be revealed. And when people meet Jesus, they make a lot of decisions, and God causes them to think a lot about their destiny and their soul. This was a young woman of, of really obscurity, a spouse to a simple carpenter, Joseph, found to be pregnant outside of marriage, embarrassed publicly and subject to local rumor mail. I want to talk about some swords that pierced Mary. Number one sword is a sword of shame. A sword of shame immediately pierced her. He said a sword is going to pierce through thine own soul. Sure enough, it begins right at the time she was found to be pregnant. She's accused, tried, and found guilty by almost all those that heard she was pregnant before their wedding day. Now, folks, people count the days. They count the days. And Mary is pregnant, and they know she hasn't consummated the marriage. She's espoused. She's legally married to Joseph, but she hasn't consummated it yet. And that was different under the Jewish economy, a big difference there. And here she comes up pregnant. Now, nine out of ten times, or maybe 99 out of 100 times, the man would quietly, in the case of Joseph, he didn't want to make her a public example, so he wanted to put her away quietly. He had the right, biblically, to divorce her because she had committed immorality before they consummated. But once you consummate what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. That seems to be the Bible teaching to me. But he hadn't consummated with her. He just legally, so he could go get a legal divorcement from her and then free to get married again because he hadn't consummated and hadn't been joined together with her. So it's a big deal. And you know you know how people talk. Somebody gets, can you believe Mary's pregnant? And Joseph was going to divorce her, but the angel came to him and said, don't do it. What's in her is holy. And don't do it. Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some credit to Joseph. He married, he, he, he married, he took her in as his wife, but he never consummated until after Jesus was born. And so she's pregnant with a supernatural origin. Now, who believes that? Uh, I never committed, I never stepped out on my husband, which was a legal husband, but not actually married. I didn't step out on him during our engagement period. Sure. How'd you get pregnant? She suffered shame. In a society that was big on morals, she suffered some shame. She suffered some shame. I, I mean, deep shame. Probably also wondering what in the world will happen with this child. How will this child work out? What will happen? They, they, and then mom and dad, Joseph and her, obeyed the law and brought Jesus to the temple, five, which was, by the way, just five miles away from Bethlehem, 41 days after birth, to offer. That was in Exodus chapter 13, verse 2 and 12. Offer purification offering of Mary's childbirth, Leviticus chapter 12, 1 and 8. I know that she was poor. And I know that Joseph was poor because of the offering they brought. They brought a turtle dove and a pigeon. They did not bring a lamb. Turtle dove and a pigeon was for poor people. It was God's provision for poor people. They could come and offer them. And so Joseph and her were poor, which were many of you when you first got married. Amen. My dad used to say, I only had $5 when I got married. I don't know if I had five bucks when I got married, but I was poor as a church mouse. 
But I didn't care. I didn't care because getting married to that woman was the best thing I ever did, but get saved. And all your men said? I gave you an opening. You didn't say a lousy thing. I'm giving you a chance to maybe really impress the whole girl and say, ah, best thing ever happened, honey, when I married you. Amen. It was. We don't, you don't have to have money. People, they want to get a house. They want to get stuff all paid for before they get married. A hogwash. I got married in a fever hotter than a pepper spot. <laughs> we can live on love, baby. We did. I'm here. We made it. We didn't starve to death. I'm not necessarily recommending it, but nevertheless. They met, they met Simeon, and Simeon grabbed that child, I believe, out of her hand and lifted it up to God and, and a fulfillment of a prophecy the Holy Spirit had given him that he would see the Christ child before he died. It was being fulfilled in his very eyes. What a privilege. What a wonderful opportunity. What a magnificent uh, day it was for Simeon. And he said, now I can die. Now I can go to heaven. I can die now because I have seen the Christ. I've touched him and held him in my hand. Woo! He gives a prophecy to Mary. And this prophecy that we read is what he gives to her. He did a lot of positive, but then he said, but a sword is going to pierce through thine own soul. And it did. A sword of shame pierced through her soul. Now that was part of God's mercy in working with her. You say, would, would, you know, we're living in a group of people that want to talk bad about shame. But shame is good. Listen to me. Shame is good. When you do something wrong, you ought to be ashamed. There's nothing wrong with shame. Now, shame does shame feel good. No, shame doesn't feel good at all, does it? But our evil nature needs shame to beat it back. We need to be taught that certain things are wrong and certain things are right. And when you do wrong, you should be ashamed about that. And, you should, and what shame will do is it will push you to repentance. And anything that pushes me to repentance is a good thing in the big picture. Even though it don't feel good, but that's God's way of dealing with us. And the way of dealing with her, even a sword, a sword pierced through her. And I, meant she, I bet she cried herself to sleep quite a few nights when people, knowing that they were gossiping about her and talking bad about her. I mean, surely no, her story was not believable in any, in any stretch of the imagination. So she had a sort of shame pierce her heart. She had a sort of separation. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 50. Now, I'm not going to read it all, but Jesus, we find him at 12 years old, and he's in the temple. Let me read in verse 46, 47, 48 of Luke chapter 2, the sort of separation. It came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers at 12 years old. And when they saw him, they were amazed. That is his mom and dad. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? And she made a, a misnomer. She said, Thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. No, Joseph was not his father. And he corrected that. 
In the next verse, he said, don't you, didn't you understand I needed to be about my father's business, which was not Joseph. I'm about my father's business. And she began to realize and was realizing that a sort of separation pierced her, that he was becoming to the place where he was, he was becoming called for what he was here for. However, the Bible says he submitted under their authority till he became of age because everything he did was the right thing to do. And, but this was Mary, just the beginning of her sorrows. We see the sword of false accusation found in Mark chapter 3, verse 31 to 35. Jesus, Jesus at this time was becoming extremely popular. Thousands and thousands were healed through his ministry. Whole villages were healed. Demons were cast out. He was preaching and teaching. He had already given the Sermon on the Mount by this time. Uh, he had been casting demons out at a place the religious leaders thought and publicly began to were so threatened by him, they began to say that he was casting these devils out by the power of the evil one, of the devil himself. That's found in Mark chapter 3, verse 22. Finally, his close personal friends, his family, maybe even his own, and in fact, his own family, began to think he's crazy. He's lost it. We pick it up in verse, 30, verse 21 of chapter 3 of Mark. When his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, and they said, he's beside himself. That means he's plumb crazy. Jesus is going crazy. Uh, in verse 31, skipping down 10 verses, and there came then his brother and his mother, his mother Mary there, standing without where he was doing some work, talking, and sent unto them, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without without seek for thee. And he answered them saying, Who is my mother? Who is my brother? He looked around about and sat about him and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. Whoa, surely, surely sorrow and pain filled Mary's heart when they thought, that he had gone crazy, that her own son, the Messiah, they weren't talking. I imagine she had some expectations of him being popular and being, being accepted by the religious leaders and being their arms put around him because he was the Christ, the son of the living God that was so long expected by Israel to come through the minor prophets and the major prophets and so long anticipated that he was going to save them and set up a kingdom. But I don't think they saw the two comings. Nobody saw the two comings. The coming of Christ as a lamb to sacrifice himself for the sins of the world, and then the coming of Christ as a lion to rule and reign with a rod of iron and to settle all this junk about bad government and to finally make one government that's a perfect government. By the way, the millennium time, the 1,000 years that's going to happen, is simply going to prove that man in the evil nature cannot live under any government. So we had the sword, she had the sword of shame, she had the sword of separation, and she had the sword of false accusation. The fourth sword she had was the sword of suffering, sword of suffering. Mary was at the cross. We don't know quite how much she was there and how much she wasn't, what she saw and what she didn't. We know some of what she did, but she was following what was going on and following her son as, as he was moved around from 
the different places to the Jewish uh, tribunal, then to the Pilate's tribunal, and how much they were allowed to go in and how far they were allowed to go, we don't know exactly. But we know she kept track of it till they, and the, and the beating of Jesus and eventually the public trial before Pilate and the condemning to the cross and take him away and crucify him, crucify him. Maybe Mary was there saying, no, no, but her little voice was drowned out by the multitude which cried, crucify him, crucify him. Her heart was being broken like any mother would, but especially Mary, especially Mary. We know she was, at the, she was present at the crucifixion because of the kisses of Calvary seven statements from Calvary, one of them was, the mother behold thy son, son behold thy mother. We know she was there all the way till he died on the cross. Mary was near the cross, near the son of her promise. Where is the blessedness now, Mary, when she's at Calvary? Where is the favor with God now, Mary? Where is the great privilege of being the mother of Christ now? A sword pierced through her soul at the, at, the, at the crucifixion. So you say, Brother Bill, why'd you, why'd you go through those four swords? Because I want to show you the way God works. I'll show you how he works in your life and my life because he still works the same way. I believe this is a principle in the way God works with us. We died as self. We died as self to live as biblical. We suffer to benefit as a Christian. And we sacrifice to gain. If God would put the physical mother of Jesus Christ through the Son of God, through this kind of pain, and produce something as wonderful as a Savior of the world, what will he do through us? God wants to do something big through you. He wants to do something eternal through you. He wants to see people in heaven by the grace of God and the gospel through you to other people. The bus ministry, that's what it's all about, seeing God be shared with people that normally wouldn't hear it or nobody would go to their place and nobody was, nobody's beating their door down to get them to church. God wants to do something wonderful. God uses pain and suffering to teach us his ways. Philippians 1.29, not only has it been given you to believe in Jesus, but to suffer for his sake. When that verse first read that, I went, what? I first read that verse, that was a shocker to me. It's been, yeah, we believe on him, but we've been given as a gift to suffer for his sake. You say, brother, how many here this morning want to suffer for Jesus? Raise your hand. Yeah, we're not, we're not out there crying, oh, I'd love to suffer for Jesus. I think if you say that, maybe you are a little crazy. Nobody wants to suffer for Jesus, but God uses pain and suffering to teach us his ways. Everything in life is full of pain. Now, you young people that haven't had much trouble yet and haven't had any pain, you may look at me and say, that old boy's going over the edge, man. I don't see this kind of pain. You will. You will. I'm not being negative. I'm being realistic. I'm not being a pessimist. I'm being realistic. I'm not being cynical. I'm being realistic. Life has a lot of pain in it. It starts out when you're born. Ask your mother. You were a pain from day one. I mean, man, I, the, one, the one birth I witnessed was wild, wild, life and death, wild, crazy, bloody, nasty, wow. 
There was nothing beautiful about it, nothing at all beautiful about it. It was, it was life-threatening. It was, it was And I had been a hunter and cleaned a lot of animals, and I don't see anything any worse than that. You still want to have children? Yes, I do. God uses pain to help us involve the pain in our life. Uh, we enter life crying. They took Troy when he when he was born. They took him. It was, I think they, I think they had the room. He was born in about sixty two degrees. We old timers were born in stainless steel cold room, not these luxury motel rooms these people are born in now. We were born in stainless steel. Some of you were born at home, but most of us born in a hospital. And uh, it was about sixty two degrees in there, and they took him by one foot. Not two, they just grabbed a guy who grabbed one foot and held him up like a bass. <laughs> and man, when he came out of that 98.6 warm uh, womb, and he came up to that 62 degree, he was wet, by the way, and he came up to that 62 degree, imagine what that felt like. They didn't have to spank him to cry. He wailed, man, he wailed. Then they shut the curtains on me. I was so upset I went down and got something to eat. We enter into life crying. Our mother's crying. We're crying. We suffer through life. We get sick. We get colic as kids, colds, diarrhea, vomit, cold, <laughs> cough, COVID. We get, then with that, as we're being raised up, we get spankings. If you had a good mom and dad, you got, how many here got spankings? Raise your hand. God bless you. Should have probably got a few more. We've been emotionally Exposed to a lot of pain, disappointments, insecurities. Our loved ones died. If you get a little bit older, your grandpa and grandpa die. Mom and dad eventually die. Aunt and uncles all die. People from your school die. If you live like old brother Bob Morris, about everybody around you was gone. You get to be 96, about everybody's gone. That's a lot of, that's a lot of goodbyes. That's a degree of pain. Life's full of pain. But God will use it for, your, for his glory and your health. Then we have accidents that happen and, and diseases that come about. We suffer reversals of all kinds which cause pain. Life is full of pain from the very beginning to the end. The question is, how will you react to pain? How will you react to God's work in your life when the sword of life pierces you through, how will you react? Will you die to self so that you can live? Will you suffer so you can benefit? Will you, be, will you sacrifice so that you can increase? Or will you get mad? Or will you get disappointed? Or will you feel like God dealt you a bad hand? That's a, years ago, I met a guy, I've met a few people actually, and I've been dealing with them. They would, they would tell me about, you know, God, he didn't do me right. You know, God, didn't this happen? And I had a child die. Usually it's sad stories. Hey, I, I mean, I get it. Hard things happen. I had a husband die of cancer. I had a kid die of an accident. Or I had a 17-year-old boy die of leukemia. I get it. But how are you going to react to that? 
these people I talk to, they get bitter about it. They get mad at God about it. Now, they won't say that. They'll say, oh, I'm not mad at God. But you are. But you are. They get angry. They get bitter. Then they become hateful as time goes on. I don't go and I don't read them. I don't do this. I don't know nothing to do with God. I don't even think that. Pretty soon, sometimes they may even deny there's a God. They get cynical. Oh, you old people in this room, you born-again believers in this room that are old, don't you get cynical. Don't you get cynical. Oh, it's all going to turn out rotten. That's not the Bible I read. I'm glad Mary, the mother of Jesus, didn't feel that way after she went through all that stuff. She still knew all the promises were going to come true. And how's she doing today? Oh, yeah. But they get cynical. They get sour. I don't think anything turns people off to Christ more than sour, born-again believers. I mean, you're just sour. I mean, if you, if you had to look at you like I got to look at you, you'd leave. You, you just sour face, hating life. Then depression. So the steps, bitterness, hatefulness, cynical, sour, depression, and defeated. When a, some, when a sword comes to your house, how are you going to react? Will you make the sword a friend or a hated enemy? God uses pain to teach us his truths. God uses pain to cause us to rely on him. God uses pain to reveal his power in us. There's no greater teacher than pain. There simply is no better teacher than pain. God uses pain to make us empathetic with others. I've had migraines and gout, and I just heard that Jensen had a bad gout attack, and, and I sat down with him, and I said, I know what you feel like, brother. I know gout. I know gout. 25 years of gout. He said, oh, Bill, that makes me feel better that somebody knows what I'm going through. I said, I know what you're going through, son. I, have, I didn't have sympathy. I had empathy. You with me? We got in gospel baptism. We got a little. We got a big C club. That's people who've had cancer, got cancer, gonna have. The people gonna have don't know it yet. But uh, there are people here that have had cancer. You you had it in the past. You got it now, and then some have it, don't know it. But it's, what's, how are you going to react when God brings something like cancer by you? How you how are you going to respond to Him? You're going to respond like Mary, who understood all of it with me. All things work together for what? For good, amen? To them that love God and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. God uses pain to make us humble. We're proud creatures. Man, we're proud. When God does a little bit through you, you'll get proud about it, cocky about it. And maybe you've got something other people don't have, and God will help you with pain and not make that where that will help you be humble. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to humble. So God will help you to be humble through pain. He'll use pain to know him. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. The what? That I may know him. How? Fellowship of his suffering. 
remain conformable to his death. He was scourged, beard plucked out of his face, publicly shamed, naked in front of the public, hung up on an old rugged cross, joints pulled, his shoulders pulled out of joint. Paul said, oh, that I could remain conformable to his death. Why did Paul say that? Because he knew that's when the that's where the glory's at. Cancer can be your friend. How is that? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. You're going to find God in the fire. You're going to find God in the heat of trouble, in the valley of the shadow. Remember, it's just a shadow. Death is not, hey, he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? That's Jesus' word. I'm not going to die. I'm just going to pass out of this body, and you're going to pass out of this body to a better <laughs> by the grace of God through the blood of Christ, through a better place. Oh, I think I can take a place with no more pain. How about you? I think I can take a place with no more suffering. I think I can, I can take and, and stand a place that doesn't have any more crying going on. Or how about goodbyes? I'm tired of saying goodbye. God will use cancer to be your friend if you react right. He'll help your faith. He'll help you drill close. Anything that pushes you closer to God is your friend. You get it? Anything, trouble, whatever happens in life as a born-again Christian that pushes you closer to God, it's being your friend. It's helping you. Brother Jimmy Knott lost his 26-year-old boy, I believe it was. Is that how old he was? Younger? Wow. Lost him in a motorcycle wreck. Somehow or another, that was for your good. They took it that way. Otherwise, Jimmy and his wife wouldn't be here. They'd be mad at God somewhere, some baseball game. Yeah, you'd be going some whatever you like, motorcycle ride or whatever it be, but you wouldn't be in church. Alzheimer's can be your friend. People with Alzheimer's, they're having a good time. Nobody else around them is, but they're having a good time. Financial reversals, bankruptcy can be your friend. I went to a, a little 30-minute video on, on Walt Disney where he said he went bankrupt three times. Three times that man went bankrupt. He was terrible with money, terrible with money. But he said in that little video it helped him. It helped him finally figure out how not to be terrible with money. Persecutions, false accusations, loss of work, hateful people, seeming catastrophes can all work together for good if you react correctly and you realize in the big picture God is doing something beyond what you can see. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Any catastrophe, any trouble on anybody, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But yet, if you live without it, you'll not grow as a Christian. Will not grow. 
We died a self to live. We suffered a benefit and we sacrificed to increase, to prosper. The born-again Christian life is nothing like the world. It's nothing like the world. A church is not a business. A church is not a business. A church is a group of born-again believers, blood-bought from heaven, that God gathers together as a living organism, all and filled with the Holy Spirit, all having the promise of eternal life. We're not a business. We're a supernatural organism, not an organization. The Church of Jesus Christ. And He deals with us in a special way that He doesn't deal with the world. Now, they go through lots of trouble also that we do, but they don't get the benefit of it because they don't know who's doing it, don't know why it's being done. Oftentimes, they're bitter about it or whatever. They don't know who's doing it. But we born-again believers know who's doing it. And we say, thank you, Jesus. Help me to somehow use this for your glory and your honor. Help me to know you, whom to know is life everlasting. Help me to have more intimacy with you than I've ever had before. Help me to to spiritually have my eyes open. That happened to Mary. Mary, privileged woman now. The Bible says it. Privileged woman. But a woman whose sword was going to pierce her soul because of that privilege. Our Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd help us to understand the way you deal with us. We don't have to know why. We just trust you for who you are. We believe in your goodness. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose because the Bible says it. That's enough. And we just simply are walking by faith, not by sight. And as these trials come and as these heartaches come, and and they must come, help us to respond in a biblical, Christ-honoring, Holy Spirit wisdom way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.